it's way easier not to have to explain why you need to keep going on. On the flip side of that, if you stumble and you fall and you miss a few things and you miss you know, your workouts, your gym visits, then you can even say, hey, everybody, I drifted a little bit. Can you help me get back on track? This is Chan with The Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Hey, Bill, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Really looking forward to it. Great. Fantastic. And glad for you to take some time out of your busy schedule to talk to us about finding your why in regards to finding a career that you love. But before we dive into that, why don't you introduce yourself to my audience and how you have developed the expertise to help people find their why? Sure. Thanks. I've been in sales for 25 years, real estate, mortgage sales. Now I do some coaching in addition to that with salespeople and you know, life skills as well, or life and business coaching. If you don't have your life intact, it's tough to, you know, get involved in in your sales and push that to a higher level. So we always kind of cross both life and sales at the same time. Been doing it, like I said, 25 years. And I know we're going to jump into the why stuff. And, you know, my why before sales was, you know, I wanted to get into law enforcement. I worked in a juvenile lockup for five years out of college. While I was doing that, I was getting my master's degree in counseling psych working with the inmates. And it just really was kind of a thankless position because a lot of these inmates that you would hope that would be rehabilitated as they went back out into society would be, uh, you know, better off and they just would reoffend or in a lot of cases end up dead or killing people. So it was kind of sad. It, was, it wasn't for me. And, you know, then I was going to continue with law enforcement. But while I was waiting out in California, I uh, was telemarketing for a mortgage company and I found that I was using my counseling skills, talking to people on the phone, and I just became an incredible passion and it developed into an incredible career in sales. Great. Going back to what you uh, discussed about the inmates, about like how you try to help them, and then when they get released, they end up reoffending. One of the common things that I've noticed is that when you provide guidance to people, if they're not fully bought in, uh, they don't actually implement what you teach them, and then they end up going back to old habits. Uh, so why is that? Like, Why does it look like they're down and out, you want to help them, but then they're not receptive to your help or they say, yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. And then they don't end up doing it. So what is stopping them from actually making that positive change? So these were teens, right? So a lot of them were just coming from incredibly horrific family situations or street situations. There was, you know, sex offenders, there was violent offenders, there was all kinds of, you know, you call them inmates or we call them, it was juvenile detention. But when they get released, they leave there and saying, you know what, I'm never getting back into crime again. And then you put them back in the same environment. Well, it's just a matter of time. So I think that's kind of half the problem. And some of them, some of them didn't buy in and they knew they were going to be a gangbanger for life and they would do, give lip service and, and that was it. So the first thing is, is really what you want to do. What do you want to accomplish? Where do you want to end up? And that was on them. But for the state to put the kids back into the original environment where they came out of, is a recipe for disaster. You're just setting someone up to fail no matter how badly they want to get out of it. And that was kind of the problem with the system. It goes back to uh, you are who you associate with, right? So even if you try to better yourself, for example, like the gym, you want to get into shape, you go to the gym, right? But then if you go back to hang out with your friends, but they don't go to the gym, they, they eat a lot of bad food, it's very hard for you to adapt to a new lifestyle because you're so used to the old environment that you're part of. 
Yeah, I call it your top five. Find your top five for anything that you want to accomplish and make sure those top five are going to elevate you to the levels you want to go. And occasionally you'll have some people that are really close to you that may not be suitable to bring you to that level. So it could be a fitness goal. It could be a health goal. It could be a financial goal. You know, make sure you surround yourself with those people that will bring you there. And again, like you could have the closest people in your life just may not be equipped to talk you up to getting where you want to go and well-intentioned people. You know, I tell a story, you know, when I was doing some of my endurance races, my Ironmans and some marathons and things that, you know, my mom would, <laughs> Billy, you're going to get hurt. You know, you, you're still going to do this kind of stuff. That's a long ways to go. So as much as I kid around with that and I love my mom, I wouldn't say that was toxic, but I would say that wasn't my top five in surrounding myself with bringing me there. So whether you get coached, whether you have people around you, help you get there, you know, colleagues, friends, family, someone that has the same mindset and where they want to be, is that really where you want to associate yourself? Going back to like finding your why, uh, one of the challenges is to take risks in order to find your why. And then once you find your why to actually, again, take more risks to actually help make it happen. But a lot of people, especially in today's society, they're very risk averse. They want to avoid failure. How do you help people or what advice can you give people in terms of like overcoming that fear of failure and showcasing to them that you need to push past adversity to get to where you want in your career? Yeah. So the first thing before you start pushing through the adversity, I think the first thing is to recognize that your why is going to change. You know, my why 25 years ago was I was competitive. I yearned to be successful. I wanted, you know, some nice things and I was money motivated, driven at that time. And and now 25 years later, my why is totally different. My why is about my kids. My why is about leaving a legacy. My why is about, you know, modeling how we can give back and make a difference and impact society and going from success to significance. And then getting to the adversity piece, if your why and your purpose is strong enough, it's going to help you get through um, those challenges that are going to come. You got to remember when you set your goals, you know, you're not going to hit that goal in a straight line. You're going to zig, you're going to zag, you're going to fall. So when you fall down, it's about getting up as fast as you can to get back on track. And that's where, you know, we talk about the thriving mentality in, in the book, Thriving in the Storm, to develop that thriving mentality. And that's where you're in a high level of creation. You're usually associated yourself with, you know, the can-do attitude. I'm going to be positive about no matter how much of a setback I have because I'm going to get back on track here. So the thriving mentality towards overcoming the adversity. Now, on the flip side of that, if you don't have a thriving mentality, you could have a victim mentality where you just, you know what, I got knocked down. This is a good reason for me to stay here and not get back up. Maybe these goals weren't for me. The self-doubt, the fear, you talk about that. That may be overpowering enough where you quit on your goal. So that's where you got to keep moving. You got to keep taking a step forward towards your goals. And again, surrounding yourself with people, putting that plan in place, knowing that plan, knowing the action steps that you have to take, but you got to keep moving. You can't be sedentary when you have set major goals or you will fall to that victim mentality or even the survival mentality where, you know what, the storm hit, I'm just going to let it pass and wait and I'll wait for it to pass over and get through this. So a survival, you know, you hear that phrase, you know, how are you doing? Well, I'm just surviving. Why not thrive? Why not be on a course where you want to go out there and succeed like crazy? And that's kind of the differences in those mentalities. So if you have the victim mentality, usually you have feelings of sadness, anger, despair, depression, 
And then you want to get to that thriving mentality where it's enthusiasm, joy, passion, love for life, zest. You know, you just, you want to get out there and you want to just go make a difference for yourself and others. Speaking of like the feelings of like the victim mentality, a lot of how we react to things is usually based off like how we grew up. And you wrote in your book that in order for people to really move forward, going from a victim to more of a proactive mentality, they have to handle unresolved issues in their childhood. Uh, can you explain more of that concept and what can people do to identify those issues from childhood? Because they might not know what really triggered them into being the way they are. Yeah. So, I mean, well, it's our formative years, right? So it shapes us, our childhood. So here's what I've done with that in those formative years is I grew up in an incredibly toxic environment where there was a lot of physical and emotional abuse, where there was a lot of shaming, you're not good enough and you never will be good enough type of scenarios. But I actually would try to do things even as a kid in spite of like, I'll show you. And that was the competitive nature. Like I'm going to succeed because I'm going to show you that I am worthy, that I am capable of more than you think. There's a, still a lot of self-doubt, but I grew up thinking that was normal and that was okay. But you know, it took years and years and years and even my own psych background to seek out other professionals in the industry to realize that, you know, this was not normal. And there were some pretty rough things that happened mental health wise that I started to unpack that it was a lot of anxiety, anger that I grew up with, not recognizing that that shaped me growing up. So then what you need to do is recognize and become aware of where you may have been held down, held back, where you may have witnessed examples of just things that shaped you that you wish you could take back. Right. With that being said, you know, make peace with your past and making peace with your past is forgive yourself, you know, especially in the former years, you didn't do anything wrong you know, forgive yourself for what happened to you. Forgive those who you feel have wronged you. And then you can start to heal and get peace with yourself and those that may have wronged you. Now, here's the reason that's so important is when you make peace with your past is you won't carry that ill will around with you. If you carry ill will and you stuff that down and suppress it, it's going to hinder you. You'll probably be sick. You'll probably have a lot of anxiety. You probably have, you know, maybe revengeful thoughts or whatever, but so you don't want to let that bring you down. So you have to keep forgiving. And it usually will require therapy and it will require, you know, professionals to help you along. In addition to, you know, going through those things, I, I also believe that everybody should be coached in different areas where they want to achieve, you know, no matter what that is, if it's a fitness goal, Make sure you get that fitness coach. If it's a marathon or a triathlon or whatever, make sure you get that. If you are into like martial arts, make sure you get yourself associated with the right people that can help you there physically, but not only physically, but in all walks of life, you know, seek out coaching, seek out help, seek out therapy. When you talk about like seeking out people, that means you have to show proactiveness and wanting to change who you are to, again, find your why and find something that's fulfilling for your career. Most people, as you know, are more reactive to things and you urge people to find their purpose and not wait for a life-changing moment. Unfortunately, a lot of people wait for that life-changing moment to actually do something. So for example, someone gets laid off from their job and then they go full-time on their business or something drastic happened with their family. So they end up like cutting back on hours working to like maybe do other types of work that they feel more passionate about. All these occur when there's a life-changing moment. 
But again, that's still very reactive and not doing proactive things to get to where you want to go and make you want to go there faster. So how do you like start having that proactive mentality so you can speed up your work and find that purpose to get the work that will fulfill you? I think you got to go above and beyond in everything you do and provide an incredible amount of value in whatever area that you're working in. If you can provide so much value that you can't be the first cut on the chopping block, like you're just going to be highly sought after. So, you know, Napoleon Hill talked about it and thinking grow rich, you know, do more than you're paid for and never think like, I don't get paid to do that. Never talk like that. That's kind of scarcity mentality. So make sure that you're always providing value in whatever role you're in. And if you're in a service industry, provide value to your clients, provide value to your colleagues, provide value to your employees or your boss and those that are under you. Just provide incredible amounts of value and look at your position and look at where you're at and see where you can actually start to add more value. There's some networking groups that I've belonged to over the years and a lot of people would say, you know, I didn't get much from that networking group because they didn't give back to me. But I flipped that around. I said, where was the giver's gain? What did you do to give first? Like if you start to give first in whatever position or whatever you're doing, it will come back to you. You have to look that way. Not what did I get out of it? It's what did I give to? Then it comes back. Yeah, you make a good point, especially in this instant gratification society that's very profound because of all the social media that's out there. Everybody wants things now and they want to get first before they give. But you're saying that you have to give first to get something back, right? So like, how can people like start becoming more, like show more gratitude and give without expecting anything in return? Because right now, from what I can see, people who are actually proactive in giving, they are expecting something back in return and then they get irritated when they don't get something back. It's going to be unconditional. It's got to be, you got to give unconditionally. If you're watching the scoreboard and be like, Hey, you know what? I gave three things to zero again, that's scarcity mentality. So that will burn you. So you have to give without expectation. You have to give because you want to make a difference. You want to give because it feels good. You want to have gratitude because it lifts you up and puts you in that higher state of thriving mentality that we talked about. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of like finding your why, and actually making it happen. The most successful people that I know and have read, especially the, the big entrepreneurs, that they have a set amount of routines and habits that makes them efficient. For someone who feels lost and unmotivated, they might not have those habits. And as you know, it does take some time to develop a habit because, for example, like going to the gym, you might go to the gym for the first couple of weeks of New Year's, but then a lot of people can't stick with it and then they end up just dropping off. So it is very hard to create good habits to be successful. So what is your advice in regards to finding a habit, and then actually sticking with it, building momentum to get to where you want to go. Yeah. So you said it, they say they can't stick with it after the new year. It's they're not going to stick with it after the new year, right? So those are the excuses. So what you need to do is put the habits in place and eliminate other habits. So if this is a new year's thing where you are going to go to the gym, then have an accountability partner, possibly if you don't trust that you're going to make it there. If you're going to start walking, you start running, you start going to the gym, whatever it is, just have an accountability partner where you make each other go and you built that pack, but make sure your accountability partner is super strong and it's not going to cave because then if you start saying, well, I don't feel like it and I don't feel like it. And guess what? Remember we talked about the top five earlier. Well, that's not somebody you want in your top five. You need somebody that's going to absolutely hold you accountable. And if it's not an accountability partner, that's going to go with you, then immediately hire a trainer because you're going to pay a trainer and 
that trainer is going to hold you accountable or you're going to be throwing away your money. So that's certainly what you can do there. So, and as far as your habits go, if it's a morning thing, pack your clothes up the night before, lay them out. If you have to have your breakfast or whatever, and just get it all ready, get everything ready the night before. So you're not scrambling the morning up, which will make it easier if you're scrambling to give up. So just have everything in place where you set yourself up for success. Now, maybe what do you have to eliminate? Well, maybe you stay up late at night and now you want to get up earlier to start going to the gym. Well, what are you doing? Are you, are you watching Netflix? Are you surfing the internet? So now that habit, you're going to start to eliminate some of these habits. Now you can't eliminate some of these habits altogether, but maybe cut back on your internet surfing or binge watching, you know, a half hour in the first week, wake up a half hour earlier, start cutting that back eventually where you can start eliminating some of these habits and adding the new good habits in, like, you know, for example, of waking up earlier, have that morning routine. But when we say have the morning routine, the morning routine may be some gratitude. The morning routine may be some prayer and meditation. It may be quick prep for work and your workout, right? But a lot of times we lose sight of the fact that we also have that evening routine, that book ending day, book ending to the day where how are you winding down? Are you winding down frazzled and scrambled and you're still working like crazy and cramming that PowerPoint presentation that you need to get done and just not having everything in line? Stuff like that will occasionally happen, but try to keep your routine with the book end at night where you are giving gratitude. Maybe you're writing in your journal. Maybe you're eliminating the TV and internet surfing altogether because all that stimulation that you're putting in your mind before you go to bed usually will result into a pretty rough, rough sleep patterns. So you want to be very careful. So those are two ways to create some of those habits. Yeah, I think one of the things that you touched on is like, you don't have to go cold turkey, you have to do slowly. A thing that a lot of people want to do is they want to create the new habit right away. So going back to the gym example, they might say, okay, I want to get fit. So I'm gonna start going to the gym in the new year. And then they try to go like five times a week, and then they burn out. It might actually be better to just go slowly at like once a week, it might not be much, but at least you're building momentum. And then you get up at the two or three. And then on the quitting side, obviously, one of the habits right now, or that's been there for a few decades is like quitting smoking. Some people try to quit cold turkey and it's a lot harder. It might be better to choose some of that gum to help uh, ease the uh, addiction of it. And then you slowly remove that as well. So it goes back to the instant gratification, right? So my question to you in regards to like starting a habit or getting rid of a bad habit, people tend to want to change their lifestyle really quickly, but sometimes that doesn't work out. So what's your advice in terms of being patient with the process? I was just going to say be patient. So be patient, but here's the other thing you do. You can build in your accountability by declaring what your intentions are. So if we're using your example of the gym, right? Declare that, hey, I'm starting my routine and I'm going to post my workout that I did three times a week. And if I don't post, you know, on social media, I need everybody to hold me accountable. And so like you have fun with it. Tell your colleagues, tell everybody, tell everybody what you intend to do, because if you keep it to yourself, it's way easier not to have to explain why you didn't keep going on. On the flip side of that, if you stumble and you fall and you miss a few things and you miss, you know, your workouts, your gym visits, then you can even say, you know what? Hey, everybody, I drifted a little bit. Can you help me get back on track? Like, and again, it doesn't have to be social media, but you could have people that you're asking to keep you accountable. And it, it could be coaches, it could be colleagues, it could be family, it could be friends, it could be anybody. Yeah, one of the things is like if you're looking to change your life, it's to build in public and announcing like what you're going to do because somebody out there who's listening to this podcast or 
watching you on video or reading a post that you made on Twitter or LinkedIn, they might actually bring it up, say, hey, I thought you were going to do this and this, right? And now it looks bad because now you're in the public sphere and now you want to do it because you don't want to have that judgment. Right. That's exactly right. Great. And you said that you faced a lot of adversity in your life from a challenging childhood to caring for a serious ill family member and, as you said, completing marathons. So from your experience, what were some common traits on how you overcame all those challenges in your life, overcoming that adversity? Yeah. So, I mean, very human here, humanizing this. So, of course, when some of these major challenges show up, it's easy to quit on what you really need to do. You know, I was in the hospital for a few weeks, pretty much not staying at my house because it was in a different state. But what I started to do is I realized that I was kind of caving into the victim circumstance. So my family member was very sick and I would go down to the local restaurant from the hospital and go eat and have a couple of drinks every day. And then I wasn't going to the gym and I wasn't doing the things that I was doing and I wasn't working. I was having my staff just take over all my stuff. And it got to the point where I'm like, what am I doing? Like, how am I able to pick anybody up that I'm trying to take care of that's down and that's basically on their deathbed? Like that's my mentality and that's how I'm going through this. Well, first of all, it's just not a good feeling to present when you walk in the room, when you're not strong, when you're weak, right? And I'm not saying everybody should be incredibly strong when life hits us upside the head that way, but at least you could try to show up as your best self. So then the switch went off after a few days. It's like, dude, I you get in the gym. I just start getting to work. So I was like, working in the hotel lobby till like two o'clock in the morning, sending emails out, sending things out and doing things and kind of delegating to the staff and, you know, getting the morning workout in before things happen. So like it took some time for the switch to go off and say, I'm not showing up in the hospital room as my best self. So that's what I have to do. So you got to figure out how can you be your best self when you're down and out, when things hit the fan. Yeah. And going through that, when you have a challenge in front of you or when you're playing that victim mentality or you want to quit, it all comes down to like your emotions affecting your decision-making. So how do you keep your emotions in check to help you overcome that adversity and push past those challenges to get and achieve the goals that you're looking to achieve? Well, emotions are, good. Emotions are definitely going to come into play. It's just you want to keep them in check, right? Like you said. So you have to recognize what your emotions are and then feel them and then process them and then either transition those emotions. Now, we talked about, you know, those low-level emotions of sadness, unhappiness, despair, depression loneliness like so how can you transition those feelings and what's it going to take and i think the easiest and fastest way to make that transition is to recognize what you have going good for you what are you grateful for right now and most of those things in our lives are free you know i'm grateful for my health i'm grateful for my kids i'm grateful for my kids health i'm grateful for the roof over my head i'm grateful for the incredible career i have i'm grateful for you know my friends and family like so I'm grateful for all of these things and watch what happens when you start talking like that about being truthfully thankful, your emotions start to change. And now when you have this gratitude, now you start to feel that love. You start to feel that joy. You start to feel that happiness. You start to feel that peace. And that changes the game. It changes your physiology. Yeah, absolutely. And going back to your career in the marathon, you talked about and you learned the concept of junk miles. Can you explain what that means in terms of junk miles? Sure, sure. So junk miles was for the Ironman triathlon. It, the term came from swimming. So when you swim, 
and you're going through the motions, you think that because you're in the water, you're getting better. That is to a lesser degree, but you actually have to do drills and you have to work on some things to get better. So I was just swimming and preparing for my first Ironman. And I realized that I really wasn't getting better in the water. And I still had the regular anxiety. I still had the, the stuff that I still had to battle. And I'm like, why am I not getting better? I'm swimming three days a week. I'm in the pool for an hour a day. Like, why am I not getting better? I read somewhere in a triathlon preparation book about the junk miles. And I, and I was like, oh, wow, this is hitting home. I'm not doing the drills. I'm not doing the things to get better because I'm not intensifying my workout. I'm not doing some things that will help me with my form, my efficiency. So I was coasting right? So junk miles, I equate to coasting. Now, when you work, you go in the office and you're nine to five job and you're just coasting along and not trying to improve, not trying to get better, not trying to do the hard, all the hard things that you can and do the easiest things throughout your day. You know, that's how I equate that junk miles. It's coasting and getting through and getting by. And, you know, when we talk about the thriving mentality, that's not thriving, that's surviving. You know, that's the victim to survival mode. Like let's thrive. So thriving is you're going to ratchet that up. You're going to do those hard things. You're going to prospect more. You're going to do that. You're going to make those tough phone calls. You're going to go after the business that you need to go after to get to that higher level. And that's where you're going to beat those chunk miles. You make a good point. There's a difference between doing busy work to feel productive and actual work that actually makes an impact. So for example, if you're a business owner, you might think Ooh. writing a blog on your website is productive hey, I'm writing blogs, I'm building up the website, but the real impact work is actually like cold calling, creating partnerships, but people tend to avoid that and do other busy work. So my question to you is, how do you separate work that actually matters and work that you just keep yourself busy because it makes you feel productive? Yeah, that's kind of like sales 101. Like what is your highest payoff activity, right? In sales, it's prospecting. And so if you're not prospecting, you know, that's your green light activity. Pretty much everything else is going to be red and yellow light activities. Like, Hey, I saw you at the copy machine trying to fix it for the last hour. Like, you know, there's some jammed paper. What's going on? Well, it needed to get fixed. Well, I thought those were your prospecting here. Prospecting times. You don't get paid trying to fix a copy machine. You get paid prospecting. So like it's finding out and somebody has to fix a copy machine. Okay, fine. But we'll figure that out. But the people that are trying to bring in the business and in the business world, like that's not the best use of their time. The best use of their time is their highest payoff activity. So when you break it down, what is your highest payoff activity and color code that or check that and say, I need to do this X amount of hours a day to be productive. And anything else is just low level productivity, things that aren't going to, that's busy work. That's not going to get a return on investment. Yeah, absolutely. And going back to the high impact work about like prospecting and generating leads, if you're working in a corporate work environment, you're going to get a lot of distractions. People always want your time, whether it's like meetings or reviewing things, basically a lot of administrative stuff. And if you say yes to a lot of this, it's going to overwhelm you and you're going to not focus on stuff that you need to get done. So what is your advice in terms of making a bulletproof schedule where you have this a block of time that you only focus on that and you ignore everything else? Like how do you keep yourself rigid? So you are also helping people do their work, but you're also focusing on what you need to get done to uh, grow your business or grow yourself professionally. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're in sales or you're in leadership or whatever it is, let people know your schedule. Say, listen, hey, I'm going to prospect. I'm going to be working on these high path activities for the next two hours. Can you give me some grace on anything that we need to discuss? Can you figure it out? And you're empowering, you're empowering others, you're empowering colleagues. And it could be just a lateral move. And then when it's their turn to do their high payoff activities, if they're willing to 
share with you, then help them out a little bit too. I'm not saying, you know, just stand your ground, not do anything to be a team player. You got to be a team player, but collaborate. I would collaborate together. I mean, you know, I'll tell my team, Hey, listen, I'm on a zoom call from four to five. I'll be available shortly thereafter. So if there's anything that you guys can take care of, please take care of. And you know what that does? That gives them so much more freedom to figure things out and accelerate their own growth and trajectory while they're not always having to rely and ask questions. Because when someone's not around, you have to use your resources. And there's plenty of resources in this day and age in any business to come up with an answer if you can't get it from the hierarchy of management levels. Going back to the finding your why, right? And finding your passion. One of the uh, issues is like, some people might enjoy doing something for a certain period of time, but if they turn it to a full-time job, they actually start despising it. So for example, let's say I like playing video games, right? So I don't mind playing it like every like few hours a day as a good way to relieve stress, but I wouldn't want it as a job as a video game tester because then I'd be playing the same levels over and over again, playing like nonstop the same game. So that might be a bit frustrating. Or for example, let's say you like creating content for yourself, but then you find it not as enjoyable when you have to create content for other people. So the content creation for yourself is good, but creating content for other people, it's not as fulfilling as you initially thought. So my question to you is, what is something that you should consider as a hobby so you still find enjoyment? And what would you consider turning the hobby into something that you can focus on full-time? Okay, so if it's a hobby and it's a passion and it's your unique value proposition, then maybe you, you could consider that. I would say... You know, I call that your core genius, like what your intangibles are, what you're good at innately. And if that's something that you want to do, then go ahead and start to work on monetizing that. If you can't, maybe it's a side hustle. The other thing, you know, you play in your video games, you know, your business first, video games is kind of your vice, your decompression, your stress relief, right? So if you have those things and you got to be careful that you don't overdo it, you know, do you overdo the video games where it's impacting your business, where it's impacting your family life, where it's impacting your finances, where it's impacting your stuff. So you got to make sure there's a fine line. We all should give ourselves rewards and grace when it comes to our vices. But I'll give you an example. I used to be a, um, I still kind of am by addiction, but I'm a sports radio junkie in uh, the Boston area. So I love all our Boston teams. So, you know, they've had a lot of success in the last several years and I've always loved to listen to sports radio. I would find myself in the car listening to sports radio for hours a day. And I'm like, why am I going to listen to all this sports radio when I could just, at the end of the day, go to ESPN.com or go to the local sports channel and just get my information in five minutes of reading over a website or some news. And I would just listen for five or six hours a day. Like, so what I've learned to do over the years is I'm a podcast junkie and listen to a few year podcasts and some of the business stuff was great. And then you know, I'll always have an audiobook going or I'll always have a podcast going. So I always have something personal development that I can use. And if I want a break, and I was like, you know what? I just listened to three books in the last, you know, week here in the car. I'm going to take an hour. I'm going to listen to sports radio. That's just my break. That's my brain getting a break, you know? So that's okay. So just, I'd be careful on what you choose to have your vice. If your vice is a passion and a unique value proposition and you want to side hustle that, then you would probably want to start to look at how you could monetize that. So, and it's a passion, I mean, go for it. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I actually want to ask you that, you make a good point about the sports radio. A lot of men who are passionate about sports, so what they would do is they would watch the, like say, a football. So let's say you watch the Patriots versus the Jets on yeah. Sunday, and then you watch the highlights that night, 
even though you already saw the game. And then on Monday, you'll go on like NFL Network or ESPN First Take and watch people talk about the game you just watched. So you're, you're spending way more time after the results are even done. Like I do too, but like, what's your perception of like why people want to like overconsume something that already happened? Because it's just drama a lot of times. And so like you get, there's just different takes and however a commentator may spin it and the coach, the coach said this and this guy's going to get benched. And so it's just added to what you've already witnessed, what you probably already know. And you're just, it's the curiosity factor now. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Also, it's easy to take in the gossip and drama of these things. It's news, right? News is usually bad and it sells. And so it's interesting. So people want to see it and listen to it. And it takes them away from stuff that may be a little harder to do than listening to some guys talk about the benching of a star player. Yeah, like we already touched upon this. People want to do stuff that's easy. They don't want to focus on the hard stuff, right? So let's say there's work they have to get done, but hey, I, I'd rather just go on Netflix and like change the channel and watch something, right? There's so many pleasurable distractions that make you not want to focus on things that actually matter because people don't want to be uncomfortable, right? They'd rather focus on stuff that's enjoyable. But the problem is that if you don't face the uncomfortability uh, now, it's going to get worse later on. So how do you eliminate the vices, but how do you minimize the vices that you st can still enjoy it, but not deter your success for the long term? Well, make sure your schedule's tight. You know, so like if you just are aimless in your scheduling and your planning, then you're going to leave room for things to creep in that will allow you to drift. And if that, if you consider that drifting and it's important for you not to drift then get your schedule tight and work on the things that are harder, work on the things that are going to be your highest payoff activities. And that is part of your why, right? We've kept talking about why. So if your why is strong enough, then don't let those things distract you. Again, you watch three hours of football, you know about the game. Why tune into the highlights for another hour or two that night? Or why listen to a few hours of the sports radio? It says all the same stuff. Be productive. If your why is strong enough and it's burning, white hot burning desire for you, then you're going to figure that out and not cave to that. And that goes back to the accountability piece. That goes back to like putting your plan in place. That goes back to making your schedule tight, building your fortress, you know, with your bookending routines, your morning routine, your night routine, like just have these things in place. And speaking of which, that, this is a good segue for the next point of discussion. So let's say you found your why, you found your purpose, you're ready to get things going. You're making, you're planning to make that career change. How do you uh, set goals and create what you call a five-step implementation plan to help you achieve those goals that you have now put in place? So, I mean, SMART goals, right? We all know SMART goals. I mean, it's goal setting 101, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, time-oriented, right? So we all do that, right? But what I do is I look at, when I set a goal for the year, for example, I'll look at my will of life and my will of life will be many facets. It could comprise of spirituality, friendships, relationships, family, finances, career, fitness, wellness, whatever, right? So what is important in that will of life? And you still have to hit on them all, but focus on your big three. Find the three things that you want to do in the next year and focus on those. Because if you focus on, say you have eight to 10 areas of your life that you just want to focus on and you start spending, trying to spend the same amount of time on all those things, you're going to be all over the place. Remember, we talked about busy being busy. You're going to be busy trying to figure out how to get all the stuff done and you're not going to do it. You'll feel miserably. And then you may go into that victim mentality because you set yourself up 
to not achieve it. So if you get your big three major goals, your, your three major purposes, your three major whys, and you start to put that together with the plan and then creating the actions, you want to put the timestamp on it. Great. You have a book yourself, Thriving the Storm. Why don't you tell my audience a little bit about how this book came to fruition and what <clears throat> made you want to write it? Yeah. So it's all about overcoming adversity. We talk about the three levels of mentality, and that was victim, survival, and thriving. The idea is to thrive as much as you possibly can. It's not humanly possible to always be thriving, but at least if you keep that awareness that you want to be thriving, to get that thriving mindset at all times is really how it's going to help you. And you'll succeed much more quickly than you would if you had a victim or survival mentality. So that's one thing. And the other part of that is we are capable of way more than we, we think we are. And I'll give you an example. A few years ago, I was doing the Boston Marathon. And it was like my fifth Boston Marathon. And I trained enough, but I didn't train the way I needed to train with my nutrition. So I took my nutrition for, for granted and I didn't have a lot of the uh, nutrients and things that I needed on race day. And I kind of blew it off April day in new England. And it can be, I think that day was 70 degrees, 40 degrees and sunny, rainy and windy cross and maybe even some snow and ice. I don't know. It was that day I, I cramped up like crazy. And because I didn't, I didn't have the nutrition that I needed. I was pretty upset with myself and I kind of stumbled through mile 15 to 26 and it was just miserable. And what I said is, how could anybody do an Ironman triathlon, which is a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, and then finish it with a marathon on top, the cherry on top's the marathon, right? So I was like, that's a mental toughness thing. So I wanted to try to challenge myself to that thinking that it kind of seemed impossible. So when I set out to do that, I set out to do that within six months, but I hired, I tried to hire a lot of coaches and Many of the coaches said, there's no way you could do that without any training. I didn't swim for 30 years. I didn't have a bike and, you know, I just bombed, you know, I finished the marathon, but I didn't do well in it. So I just, I was like, I, this is a can do thing. I'm going to figure this out. And I found a coach that would help me. Awesome. Really appreciate the conversation, Bill. And I want to ask this one last question that I asked all my guests at the end of our conversation. So as you know, my podcast is about helping professionals overcome career challenges to get to where they want to go. So for you, what was one big career challenge that you had to make to get to where you are today? The career challenge is, is just, it's hustle. I mean, you have to hustle every single day. You Don't take a day off. If you do take a day off, be very careful. And when I say that, when I say checkout, when I mean take a day off, if you need a scheduled day off, you're on vacation, whatever, take a day off. What I'm saying is the adversity hits and strikes and you quit that day. You leave, you know what? You say, this deal's blowing up. This is going south. I can't handle this. I'm done. I'm leaving for the day. I'll check back tomorrow. Well, maybe there was a way to save it. Or maybe you could have collaborated with a bunch of people or, or mastermind or brainstormed, or you could have brought people in. And then now your colleagues and your clients and your boss or whoever's looking for you. And you're just like, you know what? I'm shutting my phone off. I don't want to deal with this. And then you try to come back the next day and ex exasperated because that problem could have been solved, but you just created all kinds of angst in so many other areas that you may lose that day because now you're trying to take care of the stuff that you, you didn't take care of. So when stuff happens to you, get through it as fast as you can, but stay in the game. That's the thriving mentality. So that's the hustle. Like don't give up, keep working hard, 
get as many people as you can involved. Surround yourself with the people that can help you to get through it. And don't be afraid to make the tough phone call. Sometimes you have to make a tough phone call. And that could be to anybody. It could be to a colleague, it could be to a client, it could be to a higher up. Just, hey, this thing's not going well, and but this is what we need to do. So just stay in the game with that. Great. I appreciate that advice. And how can people uh, reach out to you to learn more about what you do and how you can help them? And of course, how can they uh, find your book, Thriving in the Storm? Yeah, thank you. The Thriving in the Storms on Amazon and all where and where all books are sold. We have a website, thrivinginthestorm.com. We talked a little bit about uh, journaling and we have a journal, free journal on there that they can download. And we also have a workbook full of exercises, some of the things we talked about today that may help some folks in their career and life. Awesome. Again, I appreciate the time, Bill. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, Thank you.